1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Episode number 26 of the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Going to get right into it here with my special guest, Joe Goodberry. Now, Joe's been covering the Bengals for about 11, 12 years now, podcasting a couple different platforms. He's decided to no longer do that, but I think his story about how he got into it, why he stayed into it, in it, and why he's leaving now is super interesting it's going to resonate with a lot of you so we talk about a lot of that we talk about joe burrow going to the Bengals now where they could go with him at quarterback and he is a western new yorker even though he's a Bengals fan and has covered the Bengals and talked about them so he's got a lot of thoughts on the bills we'll get into that as well really fascinating conversation with joe goodberry who does a tremendous job i think you're going to really like this one sal sports and stuff podcast episode number 26 here is joe goodberry Joe, thanks for uh, doing this with me. I know that we've spoken before on WGR, but, uh, you know, your story as far as, you know, not podcasting anymore and kind of leaving the industry, if you will, in some capacity really resonated with me on a lot of different levels. So I wanted to get into that, but also because I don't want to lose you, man. I mean, like (laughs) you're such a good resource uh, for Bengals stuff. I've really enjoyed your content. So thanks. Thank you very much, Sal. And uh,
0: you—you know—we'll uh, get into the story, but I, th- that's the part that's—I uh, don't want to confuse people with. It's just I'm not going to do it in any official capacity yeah, anymore. So I'll still be around as a resource, and you know, I love football still, so I'm not leaving it completely.
1: All right, so good. So you'll still be tweeting out your takes about the Bengals. Right? Sure. All right, we yeah. <laughs> we can uh, look forward to that, of course, and you can find him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. So um, let's talk about—you know—I listened to your your final podcast, if you will, your, your farewell, you explaining, you know, why you were making this transition and you, you did a great job of going through the lineage of why you started, how you started and you know, how you ultimately ended. So if you can uh, just, let's go back to that again and maybe revisit it here for me and my listeners, if you will Uh, tell me what got you into wanting to podcast, what, what time period this was and how it all happened for you.
0: Yeah, it was about ten to twelve years ago. Uh, I was a uh, I'm 33 now, so at the time I'm 21, 22. You know, I'm 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 a young man. I'm not sure what I want to do with my life. Probably. With anyone who's probably that age right now can probably, uh, you know, resonate with that and understand where I'm coming from. And I, I loved sports, loved football. I grew up with football and baseball as my two primary sports. And at the time, I knew nothing about the industry at all in terms of what it took to even have a voice of the team. You know, you read things in the paper or online or, or listen to people um, on the radio and you don't know how they get to that point generally, or at least I didn't. And, uh, you know, I remember with this when Twitter was just starting and, and you know, you'd read the takes of the people that write about the team and cover the team daily. And there were so many times that, like, I didn't understand why is this person not a fan of the team? Did they not grow up with this team? Why did they, you know where is the angle they're coming from? And I now 10 years later, I look back and I understand why people sometimes are uh, negative towards writers that maybe are just giving a, a unbiased opinion of that team, and they can't understand why that person isn't a fan. But that was me 10, 12 years ago. And I was like, you know what? I want to write from a fan's perspective. I want to have a voice from a fan's perspective. I am a fan of the, of the Cincinnati Bengals, and but I wanted to be able to, um, you know, give a different angle. And at this time, it was when really when blogs were really starting to explode and and you could have your own podcast or your own internet show or whatever the case may be. More voices were starting to come to the table and have representation in different ways, and I just think I got caught in that in that upstart at that at that point, and you know uh, grew a name for myself and, and a brand. And um, podcasting really didn't start until like three years ago, when you know it's podcasting for me. When three years ago, when when I was starting to get asked to come on other shows, and 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 they're like, hey, we want to talk Bengals, or we want to talk to you about the NFL draft, or just football in general. And I'm like, okay, yeah, people listen to this stuff. This is awesome. This is cool. And, and and then there became an opportunity two years ago where they're like, hey, we would like you to take over this podcast for a guy that's leaving and going to cover another team. And I... I, I took it up and we did really well over the last year. And even though the mangoes were terrible, uh, and that, and people may not know this from the outside, when your team's bad, uh, you don't get a lot of clicks and don't get a lot of listens and downloads and whatever you're doing. So, uh, you know, from our perspective, we like when the team is really good and interesting, uh, but we ended up doing really good. And, uh, and I think, uh, Uh, At the time for me to leave was just a a decision that, uh, you know, I thought about for a long time and we'll get there. But that's how I started. It was it was as a fan. It was as a someone who wanted to have a voice and give a different perspective. And it just, you know, everything just fell
1: right for me. Well, so it's really funny to me because it's right around the time I also started podcasting. The the big difference here is, though, like I grew up and maybe you did. You could tell me what what did you want to do growing up? Because I wanted to do this like this was my life dream. I, I grew up wanting to be Van Miller, Rick Jennerette, uh Rick Azar on Channel 7 or Ed Kilgore. You know, what I mean, John Murphy. These guys were my idols. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I went to Syracuse to do this. It doesn't seem like that was your plan in life growing up and not that you're in it as a career necessarily. But did you want to do that or was it just something that you decided to at that point?
0: Yeah, I didn't want to do it. It wasn't that I it, it wasn't that I wouldn't have done it to me, like when I in, in high school and stuff, when it was kind of sports, I was always drawn into the analytics side of it mm-hmm. the player evaluation side. The why is he doing it rather than what happened, you know, and uh, that became like when I first started, it was I want to do draft work or right? I want to watch players. I want to write scouting profiles and, and, and player evaluation. I want to grade players on what they were doing. And that was like the first five years of my writing and, and Internet career, if you will, uh, was just player evaluation. And it wasn't ever, I never wanted to like report on the team. I never wanted to break news. You know, you'd get information and I would be like, eh, you know, I'll just sit on it because it helped me as a person that was evaluating players or, um, or as a draft analyst or, or prognosticator. And I never wanted to report. I never wanted to follow them day to day. I never wanted to do the podcast part. I just, I liked doing my little niche of, of Bengals content. And growing up, I, like I said i knew nothing about it or how how to get into it, it for me uh, my career uh, choice or anything i went to college for about two semesters and said yeah this sucks i don't like this and i i i stopped going and i went and got a job at a plant a local plant in western new york and um i've been doing plant and factory work now for the last uh 13 years and that so all this that i do for covering the team is in my free time is in my spare time and uh, i did it because i love doing it and because people kept offering me opportunities and money. So I will always take that. And, and it was, it became very hard to turn that down after a while.
1: So you talked about, you know, the network you're on, it's lockdown, on, right? That's the lockdown, yes. lockdown bagels podcast. So I can go back to now lockdown is fairly new, obviously, you know, it's in the last several years, so when mm. I started podcasting, here I was. I I had left radio. I went into teaching, I was coaching and all that, but I really wanted to get back into it. And I happened to read about this thing called podcasting and I'm like, what is this thing? I have no idea what it is. Same time you basically were starting to do it. And the network that I affiliated myself to, that I caught on was called mysportsradio.com. That was the, the name of it. And it was a guy named Sam Cooten. He was out in California. And he started this thing and he had to explain to me what podcasting was. I had no idea. And he said, this is going to be the future of the way people listen. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, it sounded like some guy, you know, pitching a penny stock. I don't know. But I'm like, "Okay, well, if it's a way for me to talk about the bills and a way for me to put something on the Internet and who knows who hears it, then who knows? Maybe something will happen. But what happened was early on it became more of a joke for people, right? It became more of you're in my mm-hmm. basement. Who is this person? Ha ha ha. You're just opening up the internet, pretending to be a sports talk show host or, wh- where there was an ends to the means for me. There was an end to the means, um, a means to the end, whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? There was a goal in sight. Yeah. Did you ever experience that when you first started or were you just like, no, I don't care. I'm just doing this for a hobby and I don't care what people think.
0: No, there's always, you always get that part. Even if you're doing it for a hobby or if you're trying to make a career out of it, right? It, it, 10 12 years ago it was a joke it you even got it from other writers or other yes. people that were you know people that were established were like you're just some blogger you're you know you're watching from home that there was always the jokes they gave me i'm right. like man and i don't know if my seat from at home is worse than yours in the press box but you didn't see that play correctly buddy and you know right. you get into arguments with that because i mean and i get it you you, know, you almost were encroaching on their turf and maybe there was a little bit of, of of a threatening angle when you're a guy from the basement if you will and your mom's basement and and uh, people are listening gravitating towards you and maybe you're just good at it maybe that was the 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 hard part for for you know traditional media to understand that you know these and at the same time you know we have seen newspapers struggle in that time frame and and Maybe some of that is because of guys like us that have uh, been able to create a niche and, and create an, an audience uh, from our mom's basement, if you will. But it never it was it, from my mom's basement, again. Right. But it, it was, you know, for me, it was a hobby. And it was, a, a, you know, I'll do this as long as people want to consume the content. And it just grew. And I think now you look at it and, Everyone's got a podcast now because it is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm amazed at the amount of numbers, and you see, you look at this, you're like, "Yeah, 10,000 people downloaded it today." You go, "What? Who? Where are these 10,000 people listening? Where do you find time to listen to a podcast?" Even for me, as a guy hosting one, yeah, I may find time to listen to a podcast once or twice a week, and um, so I, you know, you're very appreciative of the people that can do that, and it's, uh, it's just amazing to me how much the landscape has changed in this in this 10 years.
1: Yeah, I, I even. Researched Sam Cooten the other day to find out what he's doing. I'm like, this guy was smart. He was ahead of his time. I don't yeah. even know. He, I, I don't think he does it anymore. He's out of the business or whatever. But for someone to have the foresight and to say, "Hey, this is where it's going," and of course, after that, you know, it's lots of tentacles. It became. I started video casting and things like that. And of course, as people know, you know, I broke a big story. Terrell Owens comes to Buffalo. Whatever. I kind of put me on the map and everything. Was there a moment? At I remember all? that. So. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and people still say. And I, and I always tell the story real quick. I had to decide, like I had this information that I was, I, I really trusted the person who gave it to me, but Joe, I mean, we're in this situation where if I put it out there and I'm wrong, now I'm really yeah. buried, right? Like people are like, ha you're making crap up. You're throwing stuff against the wall. You just want a name out there. But if I don't put it out there and it happens, I missed my shot. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had to take a leap of faith. Um, For you, like, were you ever a guy who tried to get, you know, the inside stuff, try to get news or stories, or were you just really approaching it more from, hey, I'm watching the game and this is what I see and here's my analysis?
0: Even when I didn't look for it, it's it's sometimes information would find you. And it's mostly because I would be, let's say I. um, That's a great way to put
1: it, by the way. I I didn't look for the T.O. news either. It found me.
0: Right, it's it's weird how it happens. I mean, you've got so many different situations of how information gets to you. And, and like, if, uh, one example of a time, I'm watching or I'm um, I'm broadcasting uh, film review, uh, you know, on, on, I'm streaming it on Twitch or something at the time. And, and this was like three years ago and I get a comment of, no, you're wrong on this play on, you know, and you get that all the time. So you don't take right. anything of it. And and then the guy starts like commenting more and more, and it's some random burner account name with a bunch of numbers and you don't take anything of it. And then I get back on Twitter afterwards and I've got DMS from a coach from the Bengals telling me breaking down the play for me. And it just starts a relationship. And then he starts te- you know, sharing information with you. Cause you see, he seems to be like, Hey, you know, what you're talking about and they like you know those guys like to talk sometimes and then it becomes um yeah we really like this guy during the draft or i don't really like that guy and i never share that stuff sure what i did is i allowed it to Um, maybe steer my analysis a little bit or my projection. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, the Bengals like this guy. You know, I think they could take him in the sixth round range. Now I've done my own evaluation, but knowing that they also like that guy doesn't hurt. You know, I I keep that to myself makes me a better analyst. So uh, because you're supposed to have two sources, you're supposed to have multiple sources if you can, you're supposed to back things up. So I never wanted, like you said, you don't want to wade into those waters if you're have a little bit of uncertainty on it and just one guy telling you something isn't enough information usually to go and run with it unless you like feel super confident like you did with the TO thing because it's not worth the risk yeah i'm already coming from behind you know being in the in the stance you are in the in the waters of all the media you don't want to do that and don't want to risk your, your entire reputation on something silly like that
1: right i think for me it was 06 because if i remember right and i could be wrong um it was right when the heat had won like their first title just for some reason I remember mm. like that that particular time period uh that just stands out like when I first started it I remember like the heat being on TV and winning that would have been 5 506 and then there was another like NFL show I did uh, with a guy named Johnny Vaughn who actually passed away a few years ago and he would do the Bears one I would do the Bills one we did an NFL one and it was really cool and then from there it kind of grew and they had all the, they had a wrestling one you know at mysportsradio.com and just like lockdown lockdown has really grown because of the. I mean, this yeah. is this has become big business. Can you kind of just um, maybe put in perspective, like how quickly this has grown, how big a business this has become? Yeah, I mean, the last I've, I've only gotten
0: the numbers the last two years, you know, when I was with the company and every year it's grown about 100 percent in in um, not only revenue, but listens and downloads. And uh, Google partnered up with us to, you know, every day they want for each team related information in and in a five minute segment, a one minute segment that'll play. So like if you say to your Alexa, give me the news on the Bengals, we will play for you. All right. It'll start playing our podcast. So like, that's a huge thing, you know, once you get to that level and, uh, when you they've got a, a show for every team, every sport, and it's a daily podcast. So they want you know, you wake up in the morning, and you're on your way to work, you're commuting, and you're going to get a new podcast. And that's the idea. So it's a grind, uh, but it has exploded. I mean, during the draft week, we were a top 15 podcast, sports podcast on iTunes, just the blocked on Bengals. And of course, it was a big week for us. So we had the number one pick, but at the same time, that's crazy. I mean, to even get that high for a, a, a network like that. Um, they have exploded. They've done a really good job. the 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 formula and the plan
1: is working, and I think they're you know it's going to be more of a household name as it keeps going all right. So uh, Joe Goodberry, by the way, joining me here on the South Sports and Stuff podcast. So I go back to that time. And part of the reason I wanted to recall when I started doing it is, so here are the Bills. They go on this 17-year playoff drought, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right at the time, they'd only been out of the playoffs like four or five years when I'd started doing the podcast. And then I do the podcast for a few years. I come back to Buffalo. I've been covering the Bills up and, you know, it, until they finally got to the playoffs a couple of years ago. Whether it was in podcast form or in professional media form at WGR, you know, that's a good 10, 11 years of my life. You, now, granted, the Bengals had made the playoffs, but. Very similar for you. You've covered a team that has not had a lot of success. In fact, um, they have one of the longest droughts of not winning a playoff game in the entire National Football League. So what's it been like for you to kind of be on board here through all these really mostly thin times and not a lot of thick times?
0: Yeah, it's going, it's 30 years now since the last playoff victory. So, um, you know, as I said, I'm 33, so I can't remember one, you know, I, I think I do, but I used to watch a lot of NFL films with the kids. So I can't tell if it's a real memory or not, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, how it is. It's, a lot of second guessing it's a lot of saying no this player is good and then the team doesn't sign him because how many games have they won with that guy right Stephon gilmore type thing for you guys uh you know it, you get to the, a weird situation of for the bengals they have had really good teams marvin lewis brought stability so my my time of doing this was under marvin lewis basically where they were close enough to be competitive and be good enough and be interesting but falling short of the ultimate goal and really looking like a top tier team or some, something that would be respected nationally. Uh, so it was always a weird balance of never knowing if eight and eight was the goal or if, you know, they're actually pushing for it and trying for it because as an organization, they were always came up, they always came up short when in, ter- in terms of spending money or uh, acquiring free agents or being aggressive or really maximizing the team. I mean, they went to the playoffs five straight years from 2011 to 2015 and they rolled over like 10 to $12 million in cap space every year. You're like, man, when are you guys going to go for this? When are you going to spend that money and really bring in some free agents? And they never really did. And then that all falls apart the last few years. And, and you know, they let Marvin go and, and try and start over new with Zach Taylor and now Joe Burrow. So it was a situation where you're always defending sometimes to the national media or the national – Perspective of no, they're a little bit better, or this guy Carlos Dunlap is really good, he just doesn't, you know, you guys aren't really hearing about him. To Bengals fans, of saying, hey, Hang on now, guys, they're not that good, so it's a weird balance,
1: yeah, no doubt about it. You know, look over their pro football reference page, it just stands out at you lost wild card, 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 five years in a row, uh, a couple years before that, lost wild card. Mm-hmm. Go back to 05, was uh, the first time they made the playoffs in a long time, 1990, of course, uh, the last time they'd won that playoff game, um, so. As you're thinking about the transition here and coming up in Joe Burrow, uh, I want to get into the parallels between, you know, the Bengals transition and your, your transition as well. So you now are exiting at a time where I would say a lot of Bengals fans would say, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, we got this great quarterback coming in, yeah. number one pick. How could you how could you leave now? Tell me about the decision to exit, you know, doing what you're doing and, and why you're doing it now.
0: Yeah, those coincide. They really do. Uh, there was a lot of time for me, um, especially in like 2012, 13, 14. The Bengals were good. They're making the playoffs. Uh, but at that time, I'm like, yeah, you know, guys, I'm not sure Andy Dalton's that good. It was, it was a weird thing when you got a young quarterback and your team is going to the playoffs. So you probably have experienced this now um, where it's like okay, the quarterback is good enough to get you there, but I'm starting to have concerns if he's ever going to take that next step that's required to beat these elite quarterbacks in the playoffs. And it, a lot of my analysis centered on defending my opinion that I'm not sure Andy Dalton is an elite quarterback. Because, when you know, in year two, year three, if the guy is putting up two-to-one touchdown ratio and 65% completions, fans are pretty happy and you're going to the playoffs. Uh, so it's hard to criticize a guy at that point and show film or data that says, you know, there may be some things here to, to concern us. And so a lot of my um, reputation has been on evaluating quarterbacks and saying at a few key, key times that, you know, the Bengals should probably draft a quarterback here, uh, whether it be 2017 when they draft John Ross and pass on Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I'm sure you've discussed that draft and that decision a bunch in your um, last few years here too. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's, there's been years where it's been like guys, they should probably take a quarterback. They should probably take a quarterback. They should probably take one. They should, you know, how about this guy? How about this guy? And that was me. And, and, um, at first, it was a lot of people like, you know, Joe, you got to give Andy Dalton a chance. And then it became, you know, I think you're right. And this team probably should finally, you know, make a decision here and, and, and stop settling for just being good enough. Uh, and so as I was going in my career and, and there's became a few times where I've had to turn down. Like we started the saying, I, I never really chased the gig to cover the team every day. And and then I got offered by the athletic to cover the team and be a beat guy. First time ever, like, getting, like, that would have been huge. The Athletic has exploded, and I have written for The Athletic for the last three years, but I never, uh, it's been as a freelance job, because they said, I said to them, I said, you know, I don't live in Cincinnati, and they said, oh, we didn't know that. And they pulled the offer, basically, at that point, and uh, and that happened a couple times. And, and 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 it was, to me, do I move my family and take less money from from my current situation? And, uh, and it wasn't worth it, and I made that decision, and when I made that decision, it was, well, I guess I've reached the end of the line. I've, I, you know, I've probably gone as far as I can go doing this. If I'm not going to take that bold step and in, in doing that, and if I, you know, I made that decision twice not to do it, and you know, I think the the writing's on the wall there that, you know, you've you've gone as far as you can. So it coincided with that and the Andy Andy Dalton thing and the Bengals finally getting to the point where they can draft an elite quarterback. Where well, I, I I feel this. I think Joe Burrow's fantastic. I loved him at LSU this past year. I think evaluation wise, he's everything I'd want in a guy. I'm taking uh, number one. So when that coincided, it was, all right, I can go back to being a fan, enjoying the game, taking a step back and really feeling like this team has a chance. And I don't have to prove anything from a writing perspective. I've finished everything I, I want to do uh, in terms of how far I can go with the media. And now the team is in a, a better place. They spent $140 million in free agency. They drafted a quarterback, number one, I'm feeling like mission accomplished.
1: Yeah, so I want to go back to your um, the athletic offering you the job to be a, a beat writer, beat reporter. Let's yeah. let's get into that for a second because when I heard that originally, and I'm like, how do you not do that? But uh, that's me, right? I'm like, how can you say no to something like that? But you know, everybody's different. Everybody's in their different time of life. Like, why did you say? I mean, I I just make people understand or help people understand how you can turn down what would be, I would say a dream opportunity for most people.
0: Yeah. Um, at that time I just, I was a year into a new job here on Western New York. We just bought a new house. I mean, I think two months before I got the offer. When was this? Um, this had to be three years ago. Okay. Uh, so yes, yeah, it'd be, be about right now, three years ago okay. and maybe even back a month, uh,
1: three years okay. ago. But so 2017.
0: Yes. Okay. And, and they called and out of nowhere, man, I mean, I didn't, know, I didn't even know what the athletic was at the time, but I could tell a lot of people were starting to sign on. It was right at that point of like, okay, who's the athletic? And oh man, Jay Glazer signed on, or whoever, you know, it was, it was a, it was a situation of like, oh, this might be something. And the amount of money they were offering. I mean, I could tell why a lot of people signed on, they were offering money. And uh, so that is also part of why would you turn it down? It was just the fact that I don't, you know, you never know how long it's going to last. You, you see people get laid off in writing all the time. You see people, or, or websites that go down after two or three years. And uh, I lived in Western New York my whole life, and I've had a good job. I, I know I said I got a plant job and factory job, but um, there are some good ones in the area mm-hmm, where you can sure. make good money. And, and that's so. It, for me, three young kids, um, married, just bought a house. I was like, okay, could I do this? And I, I know I could, but. Is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth chasing my dreams and putting my dreams above being able to support the family better? Because it would have been a pay cut to do that, and it would have been some lost money on moving and things like that. I, let so, me ask
1: you: a question. Is your wife from here? Uh, from Rochester. Okay, so she's from Western New York. Like, what was her input on this? So I'm sure you guys talked about it. You're like, yeah. What did she say? She's
0: super supportive. Right. I couldn't have gone this far without her i mean she was like of course you chase it of course you do it of course you know we'll be there and support you and she's always down to move somewhere right. she's a more she's way more adventurous than i am um, but so she you know she's super supportive and would have done it but then i'm always the reasonable one in terms of well let's think about the money let's think about the kids let's think about you know the situation and how far would it set us back how many years would it set us back what if it goes under what if it doesn't work uh and that was my mind mindset and i thought well they're still, it's not like they're pulling the offer completely. It was, well, you can still write for us and and be a um, a freelance writer, but it was a salary position. So it really wasn't even freelance. It was decent money at the time. It was, I'll say it was $2,300 a month to write five articles a month. And I'm like, I can do that. No problem. (laughs) And, and and still make my money at home and and, and do what I'm doing. So I was like, you know, that's the alternative. It wasn't turn it down completely and not make any money. It was, you can still make money and just have to turn down the dream opportunity. Uh, but like I said, when I started this, it was never the dream. It was, so that was a great offer. It was just, I, I do think about it once in a while now of, should I have taken it? Because now the athletic is still going now, you know, the team is very interesting. Where would my life have gone at that crossroad?
1: Yeah, it's 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 hard, man. Look, I, I remember going through that same battle. You know, ultimately we did. Uh, I will tell you that my wife was, you know, in transition of of jobs, and she had said to me, like, "Hey," and she's the one that told me, "Look, I mean, if you if you really want to go to Buffalo and get back in radio, you know, go do let's go do that." She's the one that kind of pushed me to to do it, but. I had no, I had no like full-time gig lined up. WGR said, if you move up here, we'll give you some part-time work, but then you got to make money however you can make money until you, until something else breaks. And I substitute taught for quite a while up here, but it's, it was a a bit different. But I think the thing that stands out, what you're saying and what stood out to me too, just the, the stress and the scary part of thinking about all those different things that go into it. I think the big difference to you, you have kids. I didn't have kids at the time. We didn't have max till I moved up here way easier when you don't have kids to think about in this scenario. For sure. And
0: part of the reason it's it's funny too, because when you when you have kids you gonna start thinking about their futures yes. more than yours. For that twenty years you had that, right? If you if you live seventy years, twenty of them are with your kids, you kinda gotta focus on them on that time period. I mean, yep. you got your career, you've got to live your life too, but your kids are there for a short period of time. It goes fast. Um, my son's already 10. And so 11 years ago, when I was really thinking about this and found out my wife was pregnant, that drove me to do it because I wasn't making that much money at the time. And at the time I was like, you know, it's now or never, Joe, you need to go. And if you want to chase this, chase it now, uh, because it's only going to get harder once they get older and you're taking time from them uh, to do two, three, four. I, I got paid from five different places last mm-hmm. year trying to do this, whether it was right, Podcasting, um, it, I, I do an advisement with a, a sports betting place uh, every Friday where they call and ask about the Bengals for fifteen <laughs> minutes, and they pay me. You. there's little stuff like that. I was always okay. I'll take the money because I'm thinking of the family and the kids, and you know, I, I didn't grow up with a lot, so for me. If someone's going to offer you to do something and it's easy to do, which talking about football for me always is, uh, you take it and you do it.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I I used to joke all the time. I felt really bad for my accountant every year because I would have a radio <laughs> income, a TV station here, uh, writing something there, substitute teaching on the side. It was pretty crazy. So I totally get that. So now that um, now that you can sit back, you can analyze everything that they have done. You can go forward and you know give your analysis both as a fan and come on shows like this. Let's talk about Joe Burrow. I want to tell you something I heard Carson Palmer say. And you tell me if you think that's fair, not fair, or how it might impact Joe Burrow. And what he said was, he said he didn't really realize, you know, what it was like to be in an organization that truly put all their resources into trying to win a championship until he left Cincinnati and went to Arizona. Is that fair? And does that mean anything bad for Joe Burrow? It's fair. Uh, You this is a comment you get from a lot
0: of people that leave cincinnati uh, even all-time greats that have the utmost respect for the organization i mean we had willie anderson on the podcast recently and he went to the ravens afterwards and he goes as soon as he stepped in it was like whoa this is different they're mm-hmm. actually trying to win i didn't know that this that there was a difference until he stepped foot in, uh, in baltimore and so i think it's fair and i, I think when carson palmer says that they didn't Put all of their resources into winning. Um, they're a family-run organization. I mean, they're owned they're by the Brown family that has, you know, comes from the one, legend Paul Brown, and you know, they don't have money coming in from oil or or another business or whatever the case may be. They're not these you know multi-billionaires with unlimited resources. So the way they handled it, and that's not to put excuses on them. I think you, for me, the competitive drive is you, you try and win and use all resources available to do it. Uh, But they never have. And they've got the smallest scouting department in the NFL by far. Uh, And if you go look at their webpage, they have two scouts listed. And that's it. You look at their Ravens. They've got 28 people in their scouting department. So you kind of wonder if there are um, shortcomings coming that way. But I do think there is – has been some modernization since 2003 when Carson Palmer came in and the nineties were a dark age for the Bengals. Uh, even early two thousands, they were still finding their footing. Marvin Lewis came in and while he got some leeway, he got some of the power taken from Mike Brown over the 15 year period. It was very incremental and very slow. And then Carson Palmer was gone after 2010. And I think more, and then they go to five straight playoffs after that, after Palmer left. And Duke Tobin, who's come up with the organization since I think he's been with with the organization since 2001. He's now their de facto GM player personnel or director of player personnel. And he's grown into that role more and more and more. And you can tell the way they drafted is different. The way they approach free agency was different. I got to talk to him down at the Senior Bowl, uh, have a conversation with him. And you can tell that they're modernizing through him. He's really directing and pulling strings back there as Mike Brown's getting older and the organization's starting to, to see things a little differently. And then they spent a lot of money this year in free agency for the first time really in a long time, biggest splashes they've ever went out went out mm-hmm. and gotten guys like a uh, DJ reader and, and Vaughn Bell uh, and a few others and, and Trey Waynes. And, you know, do you feel like, well, okay. So if they're going to use that part of their, their, that resource, maybe they are onto different things. So it is fair to say from, Palmer's perspective, 2003 when he came in, probably a much different organization. Just in that, you know, 17 years of age from Mike Brown and 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 really taking a step back, and and now he's in his mid 80s to uh, where he was at the time, really controlling the team and and just overseeing everything.
1: Yeah. And, you know, by the way, I do know that Palmer went to the Raiders for a couple of years, but he was speaking of you know, specifically when he went to the Cardinals. Yeah. So just so everybody knows, I know he didn't go directly from Cincinnati, to Arizona, but he was talking about that uh, wherever I read it or heard it. It was a little while ago. Um, you know and then you have the Bengals here who uh, the way another uh, media member may have uh, said it recently i was listening to one of the national shows and they said you know they're this team that generally they they just take their draft picks they you know have what they have and they hope to hit on a few guys but you're right i think it looks like a seed change a little bit in some of the money they're starting to spend um they've never been a team that really has pumped a ton of money into bringing in free agents it looks like they're trying to surround joe burrow a little bit here but what would scare me is that is hey you know are they happy with hey we got the number 1 pick he's going to sell tickets we think he's really good and you know whatever we get from him we get from him and we're going to we're going to help him a little bit but we're not really you know we're here to make some money and stuff like that and would that be something that's hindering a guy like Joe Burrow do you think he has everything he needs to succeed in Cincinnati the way they're currently constructed
0: that is tough to say. I mean, there's not enough evidence for me to feel confident. I mean, one off season of them spending money is great, but mm-hmm. it's not enough. I mean, there's going to be a point, and here's the point where it happened for the Bengals when they got to you know 2011. Andy Dalton and AJ Green are rookies. There's a lot of people thought that they would be in running for Andrew Luck the following year in 2012, and. They go 9-7 and seven and make the playoffs with those guys being rookies yeah. and carrying this team. And all of a sudden, they dr- hit on their drafts, like 2011, 2012, 2013. And next thing you know, people are saying, man, the Bengals and the 49ers maybe have the two most talented rosters in the league. And this is like 2013-14. 49ers made it to the Super Bowl then with uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, you know, a couple years in that range or one year in that range a couple years after. But uh, it, it, they came to a point where you have to decide, are you going to— jump through that super bowl window or are you just happy with it being open and rolling the dice i remember a quote from mike brown that really stuck out to me he said uh one of these years, this, the ball is going to bounce our way in the playoffs. We just got to keep getting there. And I hated that. I was like, oh, my God, that's not the way to approach it. That is and the ball is just going to bounce away. What, four times in a row in four straight games in the playoffs in the Super Bowl? No, that's not going to happen, actually. You better build a championship roster and team if you want to actually, you know, beat the, the, the Patriots or the Steelers or whoever's in the, the playoffs at the time. Um, so they got to that point of deciding. Do we maximize this roster? Do we maximize this cap, especially with a quarterback on a rookie deal? At that point, they did not. Like I said, they're rolling over cap space, and I hated it at the time. And I was calling it out at the time of, guys, they're not doing enough. I know they're making the playoffs, but they're not doing enough to get over the hump. So they're going to get to that point again, hopefully, right? If Joe Burrow's good, if the team is good, and I do think the team is – far more talented than a 2-14 record would say. I mean, if A.J. Green can come back and be healthy, and I know he's over on the other side of 30 and typically those guys aren't great still, but he doesn't have to be anymore, because Tyler Boyd is one of the best slot receivers in the league. Um, John Ross, while verging on being a bust, has 10 touchdowns the last two years and can make plays, and then they draft T. Higgins. Um, Auden Tate last year had a, a surprising year, too. They've, are there five deep of premium picks at wide receiver? Uh, for the most part, Auden Tate was the seventh rounder, but he's definitely outplayed that. You'd bring in T. Higgins you're like okay you're really good at receiver Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard is fine at offensive line they I mean at running back they need offensive lineup so the tools are there and they've tried to retool the defense this offseason so will they be in position next year the year after to fight for the playoffs I think they will be uh, if Zach Taylor is the right guy I think we still need to figure that out so they're going to get to that same point again can we maximize this roster before you break the bank for Joe Burrow and pay a quarterback because we see what, what happens to teams when that happens can you do it in that short four or five, six year window that you may have. And I, I don't know, I, I hope so, but I guess we'll see
1: now Tua may be great, but I was glad they did not sell off that number one pick to the Miami dolphins who oh, seem to too. be offering the world. Right. I mean, they, they could have taken a boatload and they could help their roster and still get a quarterback, whether that's Tua or Herbert or whatever, if dolphins maybe get to three or even at five, I don't know. But um, I, I was glad they didn't do that as a guy who has to watch the dolphins twice a year.
0: Yeah. And they apparently they like Herbert number two. So it would have been Herbert, which would have been an even bigger dagger. That was the thing. People send you little mock drafts online. Right. And, you know, they do the, the mock draft simulators. They send it to you and they say, what do you think about this? And it would be a trade back. And they take two. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, well, no, take Herbert. And they're like, oh, I don't want Herbert. I'm like, well, then you don't want the trade back. So it ends right there. Quarterback first and foremost on any trade situation. Do you love the quarterback that's right there? Yes. Then you draft him. And, you know, that's it. End of conversation. That's right. The Bengals felt the exact same way. So I was very happy. they We saw eye to eye on that.
1: All right. I want to get your thoughts on the Bills because you 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 do live in Western New York. You're from Western New York. Uh, You watch this team Mm -hmm. more of an outsider's perspective than someone like me. So I think it's valuable here. And I'd like to ask you before you even get into that. Why are you a Bengals fan? How'd you grow up a Bengals fan? I mean, Joe, that's rare to grow up in Western New York and not be a Buffalo Bills fan. Very
0: weird and very rare. Um, actually, my, my my barber is a Bengals fan too. Right, oh, wow. right around the corner from me. So we have I know. There's a few guys. There's a guy in the neighborhood also is a Bengals fan. So there's a there is a few. You know what's weird is so I was born in '87. Um, there was kind of a bit of now. This is second hand. Because I was a child and my dad used to talk about it a lot. As a Bills fan, he is. My the rest of my family is. But uh, the Bengals and Bills played each other a few times in the '80s in the playoffs, and um, there was a lot of controversy. A little bit of the Bengals running some no huddle stuff, and, and, and from my understanding of of the history, is Bills players would um, kneel down or act like they were hurt to, in order to slow down the Bengals no huddle. They had really good fast offense in the, in the late eighties. Um, and then the bills kind of copied it with the K gun stuff. And my dad used to say all the time, Oh no, you know, we got that from the Bengals, but the Bengals were cheating then anyways. And you got it you know, so I remember thinking as probably like a five-year-old, um, What are the Bengals a rival to the Bills? You know, you really don't know anything. And having an older brother who was a Bills fan, I said, I'll take the Bengals. They got cool helmets. And, you know, that's how you choose your team sometime. If you're not choosing a local team, it's stupid. But sports are generally stupid when you look back on them. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, picking a team based off that, I just stuck with it. I didn't I never really wavered. I I wanted to a few times, you know, late. Here's a story. 2002, the Bengals had the first, were, were going on having the first pick and drafting Carson Palmer. They were so bad. They weren't on TV at all. At this time, I'm a mid-teenager. I wanted to watch my team play, and they're never on. And, you know, Sunday Ticket really wasn't a big thing yet. Um, but now it is. You can watch your team from anywhere. So, uh, But at the time, I'm like, you know what? I was born in Tampa Bay. My dad said to me, you don't have to root for the Bengals. They're never on. Who are you watching mostly? I said, well, the Buccaneers are on all the time on Fox. I, I, maybe I'll watch them this year and really keep an eye on them. And they win the Super Bowl that year. And I watched maybe 10 games of Buccaneers and I really enjoyed it and I had a great time rooting for that team to not see one Bengals game because they were so terrible. And they won the Super Bowl. And I sat back and go, Well, that sucks. You're not supposed to, you're not <laughs> supposed to like a team and they win the Super Bowl the first year. That's that's cheap. And they drafted Carson Palmer. And I'm like, all right, I'm back on the Bengals then.
1: <laughs> that's funny. So I'll tell you the story. So you go back to 88, and yeah, they did. I mean, uh, you know, Sam Weiss, they no they were running a no-huddle. They were up tempo, they were running a fast offense. And, yep, there were there were teams in the league that that would happen where teams would allegedly have guys like sit down, fake an injury, whatever, to slow them down. So they get to the playoffs that year and the Bills basically complained to the league that they weren't giving like defenses enough time to substitute or something like that. Whatever the complaint was by Marv Levy, the league basically told the Bengals like you can't do that. Like, you have to mm-hmm. slow down or something. And it became a really big deal. And, of course, they go to the AFC Championship game. Derek Burroughs has a horrible penalty. He gets kicked out of the game. The Bengals wind up winning 21-10. to 10. They were the better team anyway. Icky Woods, you know, that was his time period. What I remember about that year, though, in 88, was they get to the finale. And the, in the finale, the final week of the year, the Bengals, all they have to do is beat the Washington Redskins, and they clinch home field. And if they mm-hmm. can't and the Bills win, the Bills get home field and whoever gets home field is probably going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was that big yeah. of a deal in mm-hmm. 88 and the Bengals are playing a Redskins team that really wasn't that good. And they go to overtime and but be, but I'm sorry, they go. To, but the reason they went to overtime, Chip Miller for the Redskins missed a field goal to beat the <laughs> Bengals. And if that happens, if that field goal goes in, the Bills are at home in 88 instead of the Bengals. And the Bills probably mm. go to the Super Bowl that year. But because Low Miller misses, they go to overtime. The Bengals win 20 to 17. I have the box score in front of me right now. And it was that was a, a, a rivalry, if you will, because of a lot of that stuff that went on because of the no huddle. And, yes, of course, a couple of years later, really, it was, um, you know, it was later that year, whatever, however it happened. The Bills did um, the Bills did have the no huddle <laughs> offense start. Two years later, it was 1990 when they really went to it. But yeah, that was, that was the origins of how all that started. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. How my,
0: you know, how my dad was describing the Bengals at the time of, you know, cheating because they were running this no huddle stuff. But uh, yeah, that that's funny. That could have kicked off the bills dynasty. Had that field goal had been made by the Redskins could have kicked them off, you know, two years earlier than it actually did.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. So tell me real quick, uh, your thoughts on the bills, Josh Allen, you know, what do you think about this team as you watch them from afar?
0: Uh, I think uh, Brandon Bean's done a great job. I think three drafts in a row now, they've really crushed it. I love the way he, aggressiveness, the way he moves around, makes trades, goes get his guys. Um, I think the roster is very, very talented, very good from almost every single spot. And even like the coming into this draft, I'm like, oh, they could probably use another running back. They could probably use an edge rusher. You know, they didn't get a first round pick because they traded for Stefan Diggs, who I loved. He was fifth round pick. I had a first round grade on him, himself. That's one of my guys. Wow. Um, Yeah, I know. Right. Coming on Maryland. He was fantastic. Anyways, uh, I'm like, ah, they probably still need a DN. It's hard to draft defensive ends in the second, third round. They probably won't get one. They'll probably struggle there. They've got a lot of guys that'll kick inside and rush. um, But they, you know, I really didn't didn't like their edge rushers coming into the draft. Then they get AJ Epinesa, who if you'd have told me in January, that's who they're going to take with the first round pick. I'd have said, great, good job. Um, Even though I think he's going to kick inside some and play in there. They they got flexibility. And I, I, so get him, getting him in round two, slam dunk pick. You look at Zach Moss. I think he looks like Marshawn Lynch at times, right? Like a knockoff version where he runs so squatty and makes guys miss and it's hard. First guy never brings him down, ever. You throw on some Utah tape. Guys don't bring them down. That's very similar. They've got a type, I think, even though Moss is bigger. He can catch, so can Singletary. But Singletary doesn't get uh, taken down by that first guy ever either when you watch him in college. So I think they've got a type there, break tackles, and we'll figure it out. You don't have to be a blazer or a burner. Um, So I like the roster. I like the way it's constructed. I think they have very few holes. I think maybe at corner they could probably be attacked a little bit, and let's see if Norman can can bounce back at all and be serviceable. Uh, But other than that, they are very, very good and it comes to quarterback then. It, and it's gonna be the conversation, it probably is for you guys 90% of the time, because the team is so good in most spots that it's all on Josh Allen. And Josh Allen himself, the conversation is polarizing anyways, whether you, however you felt about him coming out of college, and I wasn't a fan because of the inaccuracies, because of the inconsistencies. But You're playing at a small school like that, it's kind of like my, my, at the end of the day, I had the same thing as everyone else was. He's a little too inconsistent, a little too inaccurate, a guy he makes some beautiful throws and plays and he's athletic um but then you came to but why is he inconsistent and inaccurate he's not he's not dumb he's not you know um, a guy who is like a uh, an athlete more than a, a football player you kind of go well he's, he's just kind of disjointed his upper half and lower half sometimes he's throwing with his feet off base or off platform sometimes he's not you know even turned the right way and, he, and he's throwing it sometimes pressure deals he deals with pressure in different ways um and talent around him, you start to come to those things of, okay, he's trying to play hero ball a little bit too much and, and just backyard football in it a little bit. So maybe with some coaching, it can be better, but typically those guys don't get drastically better in the NFL. That's at least always the opinion I held. But recently we've seen these high upside quarterbacks, Quarterback is a long conversation for me because you look at the, the league and a 93 quarterback rating is the average now in the NFL. I mean, quarterback has never been played at this level before ever, and it's only going up. So who are the difference makers now in, at, at quarterback? It's the guys that can create plays, the guys that can go off script, uh, second reactions, and make something happen when the defense calls a good play. And Allen can do that. And all of a sudden, you I start looking at Allen a little bit differently. Of Okay, so maybe some of the routine stuff, maybe seeing blitzes sometimes, he's a little bit off. Maybe sometimes in the pocket, he drifts a little bit too much. It throws a little off balance. But there are times he takes over and he he runs or he he makes a a crazy throw with his arm, and you go, Yeah, that's a difference-making play, and it's probably outbalancing, uh, in a good way, the negatives or or the routine stuff. So if they can keep working on the routine stuff, and it looks like they did. From year one to year two, you're like, okay, there was a jump in development, at least uh, a significant one. That He was definitely better. He still has a ways to go. And if he can go that way and take another same jump into year three, his 23-year-old year, year, which is very important to me. I've looked at data. It looks like between 22 and 23, these guys typically – mentally catch up to where they are physically or physically catch up to where they are mentally it's it's different for every guy uh whether it's pat mahomes deshaun watson last year was lamar Jackson, is 23 year old year joe burrow 23 in college sometimes it happens in college sometimes these guys come out as 21 and they don't hit that jump until year three or year two late in year two and i think josh allen and Sam darnold same similar age could have that jump and if he does again i mean we're talking Buffalo is a top three team in the AFC at that point if he does that. And I think they're still probably competing for the playoffs and probably a favorite for the AFCs East now. Uh, but if he takes that another jump, they legit have a chance.
1: Yeah, look, I, you brought up Darnold. I'm a Darnold fan. I, I just – I don't think he's – I don't think his jump has been where Allen's jump has been. You know what I mean? Like no, he came not He came in more polished, but – He's Mm -hmm. kind of kind of plateaued since he's come in the league. He's had some phenomenal moments, of course. But from where Allen was, which was below Darnold, I think they're pretty Mm -hmm. much on par. And I think you're right that this is a big year for both of them. And the way I have put it, and you tell me if you agree with this, if you look at the organizations and, you know, as a Bengals fan, you can maybe relate to this and how they've treated their players in the conversation we had earlier. I've said this on the air, and I believe this to be true, Joe. If Josh Allen was in New York with Adam Gase, I think he'd be a disaster. And if Sam Darnold was in Buffalo with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, I think he'd be Mm -hmm. phenomenal.
0: Yep. And that's the difference between picking top three and, you know, having to move up and get Allen where the Bills did. I mean, Darnold should have went over Allen in terms of being at USC and being, uh, he's got everything you want. He can move. He's got a strong arm. He's a smart dude. Uh, He just turned the ball over a little bit too much and was a little bit loose with it. Kind of I compared him to a Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston kind of guy, where if you can get them to control it, you've got a good player. But oftentimes they you know, revert back to uh, being a little too risky. But with Adam Gase, there's no chance. He he looks like the same guy that came that's out right. so far. It's, it's player development. That's
1: what it comes down it to, is to how you develop your players.
0: And that's why I say him and he's 22 years old. I think in June he turns 23. And usually that's what I, well, that's what I mean. So maybe 2020 is that jump for him. But, man, I'd bet against it with Adam Gase being the – I don't know. How does Adam Gase still have a job? It's, it's crazy okay. to me. And so if he doesn't hit that jump, they've just wasted a young, prime – pick at quarterback and sometimes that's how it happens there's been guys you've liked that have succeeded because of the situation I look at the Jets and say you know the offensive line's bad the receivers are bad and Adam Gase is a joke you guys are killing Sam Darnold and you're going to ruin your chances where I look at Buffalo and I go they've signed seven offensive linemen last free agency last year uh, they've signed two receivers they they trade a first for a receiver they draft two running backs they're doing what you're supposed to do they've got three years of the same coordinator um, Allen's taken incremental jumps each time now if he takes the 23 year old jump this year Like I said, I I really think uh, they'll be really good. But if not, that's the other part, right? What if he doesn't take that jump? I think then it could quickly flip where fans are going, Allen's not the guy. we got to figure it out. And I don't know if that's fair or not because – like I said, we were kind of in that situation with, with Dalton, but Dalton never had the upside that Allen does. I feel like I'd still want to give Allen two more years of, okay, can he do it? But a lot of teams get in that situation, right? After year three or four where they're like, do we pay this guy, the record-breaking deal, the big money? you got to take trying-
1: the fifth-year option, too. you got to make it after that yeah. third year, which is a big deal. Have, like, look at Trubisky and, and what happened there. I
0: hate that the fifth-year option has to be done after year three. I mean, I, I, typically you've got a good idea after year three, but sometimes guys like Allen who are – developmental all the way you know that soon as you're making the pick you're you're not sure after year three sometimes and to pick up that option or not I mean imagine if you're the player right and the team does not pick your option up after year three like man well they don't believe in me they don't they don't like me the trust isn't there I mean what, what is the situation from the player's perspective you almost never see that guy resign even if Shaq Lawson has that year four that you'd be happy with and would keep him it's you already kind of made that decision in year three
1: Joe, this was really good, man. I really appreciate it, and um, I kept you quite a quite a while, so I appreciate your time today. Uh, I know you're not going away forever. We're gonna miss your coverage in a professional, like uh, I guess, um, a format that's you know just I don't know how to describe it. You know, I mean, you're gonna be gonna be doing your your whole thing. It's still professional, but probably the wrong word to use. But we're gonna be missing it in uh, in that capacity. But I know you're still gonna be out there giving people's people Bengals content. So if you have anything you want to plug, go right ahead right now. You could do that. Your Twitter, whatever that is. Yeah and I
0: never felt like a professional sale. I was always just kind of doing it from a fan's perspective so I appreciate that. I uh, you know that to see, even say it's semi professional. It's a professional sale. Yeah. You're right. I guess. You're, a pro, you're a
1: pro you're a pro what you do. We're not going to see it in the same format but we're still going to yeah. see you around and and listen to you and I and I'm still looking forward to that.
0: But Twitter is the place. I mean, I'm always down for a conversation with anyone. I mean, I've got fans of other teams that, that follow me and, and conversate with, you know, especially a lot of Bills fans that, that do follow me. So I can, I can talk pretty much every team and have a good time in football and sports in general. So find me on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, just the way it sounds.
1: Thanks, Joe. I appreciate you doing this today. Thank you, Sal. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.